welcome to episode 92 of Coffee with Mirko. Uh, it's my pleasure having you here and uh, I hope you're well. I hope you're safe and I'm sending you all my gratitude and love for all the past few months um, being here. Today it's a little bit different time than usual and we got uh, Resurgio in the house. Here it comes. Morning, Nolan. Hello. Good, good evening. Good afternoon. How are good you? Good evening. Doing really well. How are you? Good. Good. Just you know, sunny, bright, new day. Obviously, uh, Friday morning for us. It's Thursday evening for you. That's right. The sun's going down here. <laughs> Crazy. It's always it's always mind boggling time zones. So <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Joe, for uh, coming on. Um, real pleasure, real treat, and uh, I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate your time and effort. Um, firstly, how are you and your family during these uh, interesting times? We're doing okay. Yeah, we're we're uh, getting through it. I have a wife and two kids. Um, my daughter is 15 and my son is 11 and they're doing school right here at home right now. Um, everything is distance learner learning here in the Minnesota area of the United States. So that's, <clears throat> that has been both challenging and it's been nice because, you know, I never get this kind of time with my family. So that's been good. And I've been working from home too. So that's also, we're all just home, home, home. <laughs> How about for now, That seems to be the way. Seems to be the trend this year. Mm -hmm. um, um, well, um, yeah, good, man. Just uh, keeping busy. Melbourne, we're still in lockdown, even though the numbers are quite low. I believe that today is only two new cases. So Australia is quite a very, I would say, you know, we're lucky to be in a disposition compared to other parts of the world. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, two, two cases in all scheme of things is, you know, I'm not a health expert here, but it's not bad compared to the thousands and thousands in other cities. But we're still in lockdown, so we're all waiting for Sunday. They might tell us maybe a little update on what we can do. Maybe they're all, at the moment we've got like a five-kilometer bubble where we can go, and they might extend mm -hmm. to So anyway, fun times, um, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, but look, given granted health and, you know, finances, then – I've been really grateful for this time. I started the podcast uh, and get to chat to people like yourself and a whole bunch of other amazing coffee professionals. So I I'm, I'm blessed, so I can't complain, man. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Um, and just to sort of kick, kick it off, um, could you kindly tell us a little bit more about uh, your coffee journey and how and when and why you started? Yeah, for sure. Um, I started in coffee. Well, I guess my love of coffee has always kind of been there, especially the love of coffee culture and the people that grow coffee and all of that. Uh, my first real connection to coffee in terms of as a as a career was in 2001. I'm old. <laughs> um, oh, you and, know. <laughs> uh, it was on a trip to Nicaragua to work with coffee farmers that were becoming fair trade and organic certified. They had been displaced um, to Nova Segovia. Um, they had originally been part of a fishing community, but the fishing community was wiped out from Hurricane Mitch. And so they 
the government moved them up to the mountains and said, you're coffee farmers now. Um, and so seeing that uh, firsthand and seeing how powerful coffee could be uh, to change people's lives that were growing it either for the good or for the bad was a really powerful experience for me. But it wasn't until a few years later that I started working just simply as a barista in a cafe, um, then managed that cafe and then moved to another city and became a roaster at Caldi's Coffee Roasting Company in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is the area that I'm from originally. Um, and I roasted there and then, you know, I've, I've always had a passion for education and deeper knowledge and sharing information. And so um, started doing a lot of education while there, worked with the uh, Barista Guild. Back then it was the Barista Guild of America. Um, was a chapter rep, did all the barista competition stuff, uh, helped with building the education platform with the SCA, and then shifted gears working more with the Roaster Guild. Um, I was a member of the Roaster Guild Executive Council, which is now the advisory council of the Roaster Guild, or the Coffee Roasters Guild now. Um, I was with them for six years and helped with the transition over from being a more U.S.-focused entity to a global entity. And uh, also then I worked for Cafe Imports here in the U.S. for about seven years, was the director of education for them um, in senior sales. And uh, during all of that time have been, I guess you would say, a coffee nerd in the in the barista side of things, the roasting side of things, and the green coffee side of things. So kind of a jack of all trade and, and uh, do keeping my, my feet, you know, in all of those different areas at the same time. So helping with a company called Mill City Roasters while I was at Cafe Imports, doing a lot of videos, online support, education uh, for them, and then ended up going with them full-time for about a year until just recently, about a year ago, um, made the switch over to a company that is based in Hamburg, Germany, called Liston Beisler. We are a green coffee importing company, and I'm helping with the U.S. branch expansion for Liston Beisler. So doing a lot of uh, new development work, new finding new coffees, new clients, um, and helping with marketing and all kinds of stuff for, for that company. So, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, um, like you say, Jack Ford trades are like, you know, obviously you like to keep yourself busy because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that you sort of just brushed off, they're quite big, they're quite, um, like, they involve a lot of work, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of, you know, quite the sweat and tears and the upsettingness of things that you were, you were exposed around the industry, especially when it comes to farm and uh, pricing. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, you were saying, it's just a lot of fun, but like, if you had to narrow down the big passion underneath coffee, is it training, is it people, is it, mm. is it what is it? Because it's like all these roles are super multi-diverse, or maybe you just like like it all. Well, I'm a, I'm, there are a few in particular things that I really, I guess, connect with. And um, I'm a bit of an idealist. I do think that the way that our world is set up right now is pretty broken, especially our coffee world. You know, it's coffee exchange and, and uh, the coffee trade is built on a system of slavery that has then turned from like colonial slavery into colonial slavery 
kind of like, um, I don't know what the right term is, like an indentured servitude almost, where coffee farmers are really locked into a system of poverty and they have no power in their supply chain. And so one of my passions is really trying to unlock that power and empowering farmers and farm communities, helping them to connect with roasters that are willing to pay a little bit more money or a lot of bit more money, <laughs> um, helping them to find leverage based on the coffees that they grow and, and the relationships that they have. So that's one passion. And then also I am a culinary nerd. So I really just love flavor. I love sharing flavors. I love ex exploring flavors and diving into how flavors get into whatever it is that it is that I'm cooking or, you know, I'm, I'm into cocktails and all of that kind of stuff. So coffee scratches that itch in a big way too. Um, and I love people. So connecting people, sharing information, the education side of things, I'm really, I'm really skilled at and I enjoy, but that's kind of a means to an end for me to help, you know, if I can help a roaster roast coffee better, um, then that roaster is probably more capable of selling that coffee for a little bit more money. If they can sell that for a little bit more money, then maybe they can also buy that for a little bit more money and we can grow the supply chain from uh, the farmer up. So if I can help a farmer learn what a roaster is looking for in a flavor and I can help them, you know, cross-reference with what a farmer in another area did to achieve that flavor, all of these different kinds of connections, human connections are how we grow this thing over the long term. So an education is really, I would say, education is a refined version of communication. Um, it's communication to an end. It's communicating with somebody something that they'll then absorb and it will change their behavior because they've learned it. So I guess communication is, you know, that deeper connection with people. And so helping people connect in a way that matters and is meaningful and grows this thing positively is really a passion. That's, that's beautiful. What you said about education, uh, the communication side of it. Um, I think, I think it's super interesting to, to see this because we often feel as coffee as well, you gotta be a barista, you know, compete and then they like, like there is, uh, but there are so many other facets to, to the industry, you know, and you're a clear <laughs> live, uh, you know, proof of that in the sense that you're just trying to compiling uh, all your passions and just try to, you know, get, get, involved in projects and jobs that involve those at macro. And then, you know, obviously, yeah, uh, we all need the check at the end of the month. So obviously, yeah, there's that, definitely that element. And going back to sort of origins and your experience at Origin, what, what's, what's the first thing that usually, because talking about educating, it's always education with friends and family and when we chat and when some topics pop up. So, What's usually the first thing or two that you say to people when you just got back from origin or the origin topic pops up or people who just have zero idea and they don't, you know, really zero, like mm -hmm. they're not even good coffee. What sort of message do you usually take from um, origin and you bring it back home? Yeah, so I, if, for those of you that are watching that really want to get a good idea of what coffee growing regions are like, I recommend that you go to 
food growing regions near you right now and start building some relationships with some farmers that are in your region. Um, because coffee farmers are not very much different than corn farmers or, or grape growers or other people that are dependent upon the earth for their livelihood. And so um, I think that there's a, a weird dichotomy within coffee where we think of origin as this magical mystical land that's some exotic place and we kind of um, make it this exotic thing that is out of reach and once you get there your eyes open and you see color for the first time and all of that but really uh, coffee growing farms are you know I grew up in rural Missouri outside of the St. Louis area a bit and when I'm on a coffee growing farm it feels very much like home for me it feels like I'm on a um, a farm in the community that I grew up in. Um, and when I talk to farmers, they care about things that farmers in the United States or in Australia um, care about. They care about when is the rain coming? You know, what is my soil doing? Um, what kind of pest is coming in this year? How much yield am I going to get? Whereas on this side, where people are drinking coffee, especially as coffee nerds, we're, we're like, are you doing any kind of new exotic um, fermentation styles and what variety are you planting next? And uh, does this year have that Jasmine note that I got last year? And the farmer's like, look, man, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that there are cherries on the tree this year. So I don't know what you're talking about with Jasmine. <laughs> so I guess that down to earth um, connection with, um, seeing that the coffee farmer is a real person who is doing a real job and they're really, really passionate and involved in it. They're not growing the best quality are still, you know, the, they, every single morning they wake up and the first thing that they do after they uh, leave their house is um, something with the earth on their property that they probably grew up on, you know, their connection to that place is so deep. Um, so yeah, talk to a farmer locally and really start to build relationships with people that are in a horticultural field near you. And I think you'll gain a really strong appreciation for coffee farmers. And then when you do get that opportunity to travel, um, you'll know kind of the language, even though you may not speak Spanish or you may not speak Portuguese or wherever you go, you'll know the, the language to translate into their actual language and have a deeper appreciation. And that appreciation is really where I think we connect as humans with each other. And when a farmer is treated with that kind of dignity as a, an expert in their field, as the person who is in control of the experience that you'll have in your cup, um, that's, you know, really cool. Yeah. Thank you. That really uh, put a lot of things in perspective and a lot the way you framed it down. And I think, yeah, I think that, it's it, the paradox is that we got these bustling cities, you know, we got Portland, Melbourne, and you know, New York, and it's like these big concrete jungles. And yeah, we probably lost, you know, but that's where you know the concentration of those jasmine coffee drinkers are uh, potentially, and you know, the beautiful coffee shops and the roasters, and because that's where businesses are supposed to sell that type of coffee, and yet. We should all get out of the city. Maybe bring our, you know, uh, commandante or an <laughs> aeropress and bring still the jasmine coffee with us, and sort of go back onto 
nature and sort of like well try to understand it because you know i think that we what you just described i think it also happens with everything else in the supermarket like mm -hmm. obviously we're coffee talking coffee so we're gonna just go sideways for a second i think that a lot of people i remember when my when my girlfriend and i went back home and i'm from a very mountain countryside parts of italy and i remember when she first saw uh grapes but they were uh like like pre pre-harvest so they were all like compacted and hard and and she couldn't just get over the fact that that was that you know because all you see in a big city is just the end product usually waxed polished packaged plastic pvc whatever it is you know and you just like exchange it with a dollar or two or ten but that connection with nature is an element that we get yeah it's, it's yeah sorry i need to i'm, I'm digesting what you said myself so oh, yeah I think it's um, it's really important that we don't forget that from you know coffee comes from the earth you know the end and uh, yeah hmm hmm uh, well uh, <laughs> that was uh, definitely a, a big one um, so we we to give some context again with your type of work what do you usually say uh, to people as well in terms of you know because the solution there is no solution like it's a complex topic you know when it comes to pricing and get people to understand the quality of coffee and how hard work is behind it because there's no one single farmer on earth that has it easy like it's hard work it's physical mental unpredictable and yeah sure maybe steep hill grapes could be harder than you know maybe something just on the ground but then you know picking up coconuts on a coconut tree or durian or a whole bunch of tropical fruits is difficult too. Um, what do you think is for roasters, what can they do to sort of amplify the message when it comes to uh, what you just said about origin? I think the, there are a couple things. The main thing that a roaster can do is roast your coffee well. That's the main thing you can do. That is your job. Your job is to take whatever coffee falls into your hand and make it taste the best that you can. Not the best for the way that you like it, but the best that your customer is going to like it to where they'll buy more of it and they'll pay more money. And then turn around and, and share that profit with the people that have uh, come in the supply chain before you, especially that person that, that is responsible for growing that coffee. Um, and having a, a a knowledge of your craft um, to the point where, well, I'll share a pet peeve with you. <laughs> I have a lot of roasters that they'll, I'll, I'll send them these beautiful coffees, you know, and this is the case ever since, you know, I started working in green coffee. I'll send them a beautiful coffee and I'll get a reply back. Oh, this coffee tastes grassy or, oh, this coffee, you know, it's just a little flat or, you know, it doesn't really work for me. And I think to myself, this coffee is beautiful and you didn't roast the sample very well. You didn't pay close attention to the sample roasting. Um, you need a little bit more education on that, or you need to pay attention to what you're doing. Um, and you're asking for a particular thing that I'm telling you this coffee has, 
And that lack of trust and lack of appreciation in the supply chain before you is causing you to miss out on something that is really special. And that if you were to open your eyes a little bit more beyond just like that cupping bowl that one time and see the bigger picture and how awesome the opportunity just to taste coffee is that I think we would, we would polish those coffees in our roasting machines much better. You know, we would pay homage to those coffees in a way that is that the respect for the coffee and the people who put that on our table um, would make that coffee actually taste extraordinary. Um, and I think that a roaster, you know, when a roaster is, let's use that Jasmine note again, when a roaster is looking for that one coffee on the table that has not only Jasmine, but has the most Jasmine in the particular format and all of that. And they spend all of this time garnering sample after sample, roasting all of those, cupping all of those to try to find that one thing that they're looking for. They're passing over so many opportunities and it's really kind of, it, it's pretty disrespectful to the supply chain and wasteful because all of that coffee now is just getting tossed. And, um, you know, if you have that ability to taste those notes and refine those notes and bring those out, then maybe that coffee that had a little bit of that should be the coffee that you buy because, you know, you can explore that and expound upon that in a way that can really help that coffee flourish. Whereas somebody that may not be as good of a roaster getting that coffee where the jasmine note is just super pronounced and easy to achieve, maybe that's the best coffee that they should buy because, you know, maybe yours will still taste a little bit better because you have the ability to roast it a little bit better. So I think really thinking about things in a more holistic way as a roaster, um, not being afraid to take risks and really paying attention to uh, the respect of the people in the supply chain, not just in word, but actually in deed, um, through the heart that you pour into the way that you bring those flavors out. And the same can be said for every one of us in the supply chain. The same can be said for me as an importer or for a barista who's pulling a shot of espresso or steaming milk, you know, the respect for the milk itself, the respect for the sugar farmer. Whenever you see somebody dipping into the sugar bowl for their coffee and you're like, oh, don't put sugar in that. Well, somebody actually grew that sugar too. <laughs> so having, having a, a holistic respect for all that are involved is I think super important and it makes coffee taste better. Yeah. I, I, I super resonate with that. You know, I think that I've started my personal journey maybe three years ago around the importance of understanding the process behind each, uh, well, most products around the world. Like, you know, there was a process behind this mug and behind the design of it, as well as just the raw material that's been used. Um, and also obviously how that impacts the environment is another major issues, but we're not going to go in there. Otherwise we need a couple of hours to talk about sustainability. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> ultimately, because ultimately everything needs resources and it all comes out, I suppose, to, you know, it sounds cheesy, but, earth, water, wind, and fire, like really like, you know, mm -hmm. some of those resources are used to, you know, in this case, to grow coffee, we need, you know, the, we need the water, we need the soil, um, and obviously ideal uh, temperatures and altitudes, of course. And, and you've been with SCA, um, and what, what sort of 
program, what sort of ideas as well you're thinking that you've seen in the past few years um, flourishing to help Origin? And sorry, we'll put that on hold for a second. We got a question actually. Yeah. Um, from Shocker Coffee. How do you cater to the people that want ground coffee? I sell whole bean and have been doing so for a while. My single origin drinkers will use my medium roast for pour over and espresso. Should I offer two grinds as well as whole bean or just cater to drip? Yeah, I think that um, one opportunity that is missed for a lot of roasting companies out there is that the, you try to make money on the grinders that you're selling. I, if I was selling a grinder, I would sell that grinder at cost. Uh, because that grinder is going to sell a whole lot more of your whole bean coffee. So if you can find a grinder that you can sell that is going to do a great job, that is a burr grinder, obviously, and that you can get into the hands of your customers at cost or maybe even at a discount below cost, then uh, they can take that home and actually make the best out of your coffee. Um, but at the end of the day, just grind their coffee if you can. I know a lot of roasters, if you're really, really small – you may not have an industrial grinder that you can use for, you know, a large amount of packaging, but maybe start building that into your system because the number one thing is to get coffee into people's hands. So even if it's not to your, like, if you're, if you think that grinding coffee ahead of time is here and you're up here, well, maybe we should be down here a little bit because that person will eventually they'll get their own grinder, you know? So empowering your people to, um, empowering your people to taste your coffee the best that they can is awesome. And, you know, the other side of that too is water. I think water is even more important for the home brewer, the person that's extracting coffee at home than even their home grinder. So I know there, there's a company here in the U S called Greenway coffee. My buddy David Boer owns Greenway coffee down in Houston, Texas. And I was talking to him about this at one point. I was like, I don't know why roasters don't, you know, like sell more third wave water or something like that. He, he said, we actually sell our water. We put our coffee water into gallon jugs and sell it to the home baristas. I thought that was brilliant. So, you know, right along with your grinders, have a sign up that's like, if you bring in your jug, we'll fill your jug with filtered water that is perfect for brewing, perfect for extraction the water that we're using in our lab to taste this coffee, you can have at your house. That's a great added, you know, revenue stream, literal stream. That's a water joke. <laughs> no, 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 it's it, literally stream. No, I get it. No, it's good. But, like, I think it is. Um, indeed. Uh -huh. I think, I think that if there's one thing that COVID or the pandemic has shown us is that, Everyone needs to have that flexibility, intuition, and innovation. So like you said, you know, like you already got the water, refilling that water will bring in the people um, to, to brew with the same water to try to achieve the a similar result with the same coffee uh, that, that you would have in that coffee shop. I think it, yeah, I think I have never seen it done before. I mean, I've seen a few water companies out there and minerals and that, um, Hake from from Maxwell, but yeah, I never seen uh, I never seen what you just said. So yeah, that that could be a little idea if someone's listening. Um, that's probably to take home. Um, yeah, refill water. 
refill your cup or whatever. Yeah, interesting. Um, thanks for that, uh, Joe. And I think that really replies uh, to that question. And we just hit the halfway mark, so we pull and hold again the SDA question because uh, I have a ritual question, the out-of-the-box, out-of-the-box yeah. question. If you could, who would you like to have dinner with? It can be anybody, coffee, non-coffee, yeah. alive, not alive, your dinner, your guest. Hmm. It, this, so I'm not very good with favorites. Um, I have so many people that I would like to have dinner with. Um, hmm. I'm going to have to think on this for just a moment. I apologize. Caught me on no, 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 that's good. I, I love that <laughs> part. Um, hmm. I think the first person that's popping into my head is there was a lady named Grace Perry who owned the first coffee shop that I worked in and kind of gave me my first coffee job. And I haven't seen her in probably 12 years. So I think she would probably be the first person that I would have dinner with. That's nice. Yeah. 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 I love that. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, it's just a little fun question uh, to break through the, uh, the hour as well as appreciating the people that we haven't seen in a while or, you know, the people that we, we, we look up to. Yeah, either or is mm -hmm. both, both. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just a dinner. Uh, and hopefully maybe this will help you to activate and organize that dinner, maybe. Who knows? There you go. Um, I need to make that happen. There you go. Um, so, sorry, I'm going back from dinner to coffee, SCA projects, what have you seen? What's been, you know, the past few years and what, can we expect uh, more projects to, what sort of projects can we expect to see to sort of help the whole industry as a whole? Mm -hmm. Well, most of the projects that I have had a little bit more purview of have been on the roaster and sensory side through the education um, that, I, that I help with on the roaster uh, platform. And then also through having been part of the roaster guild advisory board. Um, I think that the things that I'm most excited about are variety information, you know, helping to not only give names to the different coffee varieties that are out there, but really to see what coffee varieties thrive in what kinds of environments. Um, if you look back at Geisha, for instance, which is something that everybody is, you know, always kind of goggly eyed about, but Geisha started in Ethiopia um, and it was just kind of one of the other Ethiopian varieties that just happened to get moved to Central America. And in Central America, it was kind of thrown away because it didn't produce very well. The coffee was super bland. Nobody liked it. It was very fragile. And it was very much a mistake and an accident that it was rediscovered in Panama um, as a super high quality, very flavorful coffee. So I think everybody is always looking for the new Gesha. You know, everybody's always like, what's going to be next? What's going to be next? And I think that instead of that, from what we can look through organizations like CQI, Coffee Quality Institute, and through organizations like um, World Coffee Research, through guidance and, and, and uh, funding and things through the SCA, is maybe, you know, Katura or Katwai or Villanovo or all of these different varieties that we have actually have 
maybe they're they're a puzzle piece that's just set in the wrong space. And even though they're great right now, once they find the right place to go, that's where they thrive and that's where they take off. Um, that kind of thing really interests me because I know that uh, as we become more and more skilled and educated around what varieties thrive in different environments, what varieties are more pest resistant and rust resistant and all of these different things that we will also accidentally make these fun discoveries of super flavorful combinations of variety with tawar um, and processing and all of that. So I think the future is really bright in that regard. Um, I think that that work is also a major step forward in our um, hope and planning for sustainability because sustainability is not necessarily all about um, how can we grow more coffee without, with less impact on the environment, but maybe how can we drink less coffee, um, but with more flavor so that you just have that tiny cup of coffee in the morning and that satiates all of your coffee needs because it's just so delicious. And maybe we pay more for that. Kind of like they're, we're seeing in the beef industry, you know, instead of us trying to figure out how we can grow more cows more sustainably, maybe we should figure out how we can eat less cows and the cows that we do eat have a better life and, and uh, then therefore also taste better, et cetera. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think, yeah. Less coffee sounds terrible to me, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, look, I think, I think, I think I just came down to a conclusion um, not long ago uh, when it comes to sustainability. There's no right or wrong. And look, ultimately, I mean, there are obviously there are some wrongs and there are some rights, but um, there's no perfection, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, maybe my lifestyle compared to my friends, my mom, my dad, and, you know, other people has a different impact on, on, on the environment from, based on what I eat, but then I might take a 10 times longer shower than them. Uh, and, and, you know, and then maybe I'm a super, I don't know, I'm a Lego collector, which obviously that, you know, that, like, like, so I think it comes down to individuals, and I think what you were saying about, communicate education so getting educated and getting into a lot of conversation um then you can start learning like okay what does it take to produce uh, a liter of uh, batch brew uh, a liter of you know like milk or a liter from you know plant-based milk whatever it is then then you are the one who like okay well really care about the environment then i need to take the right steps and right actions and and in regards to what you said about variety, varieties, it's just, yeah, I think the future is bright. You made me, you made me smile internally because it just, it just hit me, you know, like everybody, even who don't drink wine, they know what, they don't know, but they've heard the word Merlot, Chardonnay, uh, Sauvignon. And that's, you know, that's the same with coffee. I think that we hopefully going to get more and more people, um, you know, I'm not saying it's, it would, it's not going to take, a day or two like obviously it's gonna take a while and it will be difficult because probably of the white coffee beverages i'm assuming because obviously you know baristas are not going to mention the five origins and the five varieties inside their blends uh, for their for their latte drinkers but hopefully yeah we'll see more and more right that's super interesting what you said and really um i mean yeah i mean yeah there's a lot again a lot to digest
Um, and so you, I love how you described us imagining, and I put myself in us, uh, origin as this beautiful, tropical, mystical, magical place. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of us have removed that from the equation as in we don't even think some at times of origin at all. Um, but, you know, without the people from origin, without nature, origin, coffee wouldn't be possible despite us drinking it every day and just giving it for granted. Uh, would you say that people and education around origin um, should be the next trend, should be more into people's minds and should be more into, into their faces, so to speak? Well, I think that... Um there's a fine balance there. I think that a, a knowledge and a respect for where coffee comes from is really, really important. As long as that doesn't like shift over into some kind of uh, weird, um, almost like voyeuristic or um, what's the word? Like a, as long as we, we are looking at the people that are growing coffee as actual human beings, you know, respectful, mutually beneficially um, involved in the supply chain, et cetera. I, I think that a lot of baristas, their first introduction to coffee growing comes from a roaster who really makes that case for it being this mystical land of Oz almost. And the people who are growing coffee, you know, are all super poor and they need our help. And there are a lot of these tropes that kind of go with, who is growing the coffee. So if we can do away with the tropes and grow actual real relationships and real knowledge and, and respect and, and care, um, not from like a, a we care for them kind of way, but like we're on the same level playing field and we care for each other in the supply chain. We're working for each other's best interests. I think that that is super, super important. Um, so just like, the the best relationships that you have if you're a roaster with your best clientele those are pu pretty mutually beneficial you know that client really well and so you can meet that client's needs really well and you can trust in that relationship that that client will continue to buy coffee from you not because they are afraid that you're not going to make ends meet but because they are invested in the relationship they trust you with the product etc if we could have those kind of relationships with the people that are also growing our coffee, that's where the supply chain, I think, starts to heal. And I think that healing is really the thing that our coffee supply networks really need. Honest healing, like actual human interaction that er not erases the past, but that takes that past and kind of buries it away so that we are able to move forward into a, a better future. Thank you. Super insightful. And that. Uh... On that, um, that reminded me a lot of the conversation I've had with Team Wendelbo a few months back, and uh, he was saying how he buys coffee from the same. I mean, obviously, you know, this is uh, what he says, but he buys coffee from the same places every year. And at one stage, a few of his staff that were complaining, they're like, "Oh, we want something new. We had this last year," but to him, the uh, human relationship and becoming such almost like a family or an extended part of his family at origin is more important. Plus, he said, well, each season is different, so it's actually more fun to play with the exact same coffee each year because each year is going to be different and I want to taste what it's going to taste like. So <clears throat> I 
think that um, sort of goes quite uh, hand in hand with what you just said, uh, human connections. I agree. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah. that Tim's grasp of that is exemplary and that if all roasters were to follow uh, that kind of an example on, you know, I mean, the other side of that, that is not being said, but that I know from my, from my roaster acumen is that Tim is then required to, when those coffees get to him, if those coffees are not the same as last year, maybe last year was a, was a 88 point coffee and this year it's an 84. Well, Tim is required to know the ability to roast well enough to where he can present that to the same customer and that customer still be satisfied. So that's that other part of the learning how to do your craft, the best that you can do in your part of the supply network so that, you know, when those down years come, the, that's the only way that we can see a future that is sustainable is to be able to take those coffees that we have trusted growing relationships around and make them awesome, regardless of whether they're, you know, experiencing a little bit more rust this year on the farm and the coffee is a little bit down or whatever the case may be. And then that's how we get those incredible coffees on the years that are awesome, you know, because that farmer is then so excited to share that coffee with us. And the roaster that roasts that coffee, you know, it's such a, a new day for them that, you know, those coffees become just momentous achievements in life at that point. That's pretty special. Yeah, it is. And what you said as well just earlier about the same way the roaster treats their customers, I suppose, or maybe the, the, you know, the more the regulars or the important ones. Like it reminded me when I was working for a coffee roaster, uh, more on the road, more as a BDM sort of type of role. Um, and it's true, you know, like you have those most everybody's special but you had those uh, special relationship with those special clients because you treat them in a certain way because they might be bringing 15 percent revenue of your territory uh you know um and it's interesting because we should have sort of the the ability to do the same uh or even more <laughs> with the people who are providing us the actual product that we are you know uh, roasting and then selling and then brewing uh here so it's yeah it's interesting how that's probably yeah that's probably a, a gap that um mm -hmm. you know like we're saying tim is really doing a pretty pretty incredible job out there um yeah very interesting but yeah the, the quality of roasting yeah, yeah without any doubt and i'll probably say that becomes probably almost like a fun challenge you know it's like a mystery box uh for him and his team and sure. uh, i say i think i think that keeps it probably even fun uh you know, I don't know him that well, obviously, but he, yeah. Anyway, um, thank you. I think that was super insightful and people got a lot of value out of it. And I hope that people who are listening to this in the form of podcast will, you know, have listened to what you just said because it's all about this communication. It's about the one person and seven and 14, 29, 100, and then, then it's ripple and this more conversation. That's all, that's all we're trying to do here. We're not trying to yeah. change in the world. Uh, Joe, thank you. I'm just going to ask you a couple of big questions because I know we yeah. still got time, but I don't want to leave them too, too far end. Um, ultimately, what's your coffee mission and what's next on your planet? <laughs> My coffee mission is to make the world a better place. 
um, I think that if we can get, um, I, I think that if we can change the way the coffee is, is bought and sold and really grow the, the base of uh, farmers' livelihoods and uh, work with farmers in a way to where they are caring for the earth ecologically, that we have major impact within coffee to change the world in a positive way. And I think that we could be exemplary to other industries that it is possible and that it is good and that it is profitable, et cetera. And so then hopefully we can change other industries alongside of coffee. So that's, yeah, my major uh, purpose in the coffee industry overall. And what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry. What's next on your planet? And I know it's a difficult question right now because it's, you know, there's a lot of uncertainties, but um, I suppose if you have any plans or if there's any projects that you're working on, like what's, what's next? Definitely. Yeah. Well, I am super, super proud of being a part of the List and Beisler team and the work that we're doing. Um, I think that List and Beisler is a super cool, uh, small little scrappy company that is bound for some great things. And the U.S. team, we're super small, but we're, uh, I think that the future is really bright for us and the way that we hope to go about the supply chain is, um, it's interesting and it's got me very excited. And then in terms of um, projects outside of just uh, helping grow this thing, which is a pretty big project within coffee, another project that I'm working on through Listen Beisler is a podcast that um, I'm going to release basically a full season all at once. Um, hopefully we'll be releasing within the next month or two. I, I seem to keep saying that <laughs> I've been recording and working on it since April um, and it's taking a really long time, but it's going to be super cool. It's called get coffee. And um, if you want to follow along and see when that releases, I have an Instagram page ready. There's nothing posted on it yet until we release until we launch, but it's just get coffee podcast right here on Instagram. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Oh man, that's super cool. And you actually got the perfect voice for, uh, for a podcast. Oh, you probably, you. yeah, yeah. hundred percent. Actually, I actually Googled, um, uh, when I was a little bit of, uh, working, if you had a podcast, like, like you and then, well, there you go. <laughs> funny i was looking if you had a podcast i couldn't find anything i was like oh that guy should have a podcast and then, i used yeah. to have a podcast with ever meister when we were at cafe imports she is still at cafe imports but uh we had a podcast called opposites extract you can still find some episodes of that i think over on itunes um but yeah that was back in 2016 so it's been a minute I met, I, met, I met Ever uh, when she came to do the knowledge talks for Tabby's Estate, and uh, yeah. I had the tough job of taking her around and drink amazing coffee and take her out for lunch before, before the event. So, yeah, yeah, funny. That was back in 2018, I believe, that she came over. Oh, nice. Yeah, Ever's great. Ever's awesome. I miss those times. Uh, there you go. So you had a podcast after all. See, I, 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 you know, it, it had to be. It had to be. Um, that's great. Um, we still got some some time. I don't want to hold you too long. I know it's family time, but um, just for the kids at the back, um, I think that we talked a lot about coffee and green origin, uh, a little bit about home brewing. 
Just a couple of questions. A, what have you seen in America for the past six months when it comes to home brewing? Has it grown? Have you seen people going from you know one equipment to another? Have you seen uh, black coffee selling more? Question number one. Big time. Yeah, people are brewing coffee at home like no other time in, I guess, modern history, really, I would say. Ever since, you know, people got their Mr. Coffee pots in the in the 50s and 60s, we're seeing a major resurgence of brewing at home. I know um, companies like Baratza have been selling tons of home grinders. Um, obviously, Baratza just got bought by Breville. Um, that is no accident. Not, that's not because Baratza was in trouble. That's because Baratza is booming. Um, these companies that are doing home brewing systems and uh, companies that are doing really good online, you know, have good online platforms for selling their whole bean and grocery store sales are all skyrocketing. I have heard uh, a lot of numbers that make it look like overall coffee has grown a I don't want to throw out numbers too much, but we think coffee has maybe grown about 10% globally during the pandemic, which means that I think since people are locked at home, they're just like, get me through this day. God, please get me through this day. And so they're guzzling more and more coffee. Wine drinking and beer drinking are also up. <laughs> so I think we're just staying more hydrated overall. Um, and uh, yeah, I think... I think that once the pandemic kind of subsides and people return to the cafe life, cafes are going to explode again. I think that we're going to see a major resurgence and coffee, you know, cafes were already going up. So I think it's going to, we're going to see a little bit of a bend of that curve. And my two cents on it, obviously each country different, but um, is that I'm hoping maybe it's not my two cents. It's more of a hope uh, that we will see more snobbiness because now people have been brewing more at home and appreciate and started maybe learning more about the, the process around them. Maybe they maybe they stumble across some adjustment notes and then they go to the old local where they not maybe ordering uh, ethical, sustainable. Uh, I hate not those words, but like you know the good the coffee, and then all of a sudden they're gonna have to raise their quality bar. And then they're going to hit up the roaster. I'm like, hey, we need, you know, more of those jasmine coffees. And then the roaster was like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the quality bar would just go higher because now maybe people's expectations are going to be a little bit higher because of they've been playing around with it. But it's more of a hope. I'm not sure it's going to happen or not. And in regards of sales, a customer of mine, um, um, he's a coffee roaster. And, um, yeah, their online sales were up 1,000%. Um, just in April, um, obviously their wholesale was down, but like, yeah, a thousand percent. It's still, it's still a big number. Maybe in dollars, not too much, but the percentage is big, real, mm -hmm. real big. Um, and lastly, hospitality is far from perfect. If you could change one thing, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And moving forward, what do you want to see in hospitality or what you predict to see based on, you know, the year that has been? Yeah. If I had a magic wand for the hospitality industry, um, I would kind of do the same thing that I would do in the coffee supply chain 
where I would make it to where a customer coming into a cafe or into a restaurant doesn't expect or demand um, service in the terms of like a, a servitude relationship with the person that's serving them their food or beverage. So um, I, I honestly feel like this COVID crisis has done damage to that. I think that the COVID crisis has further distanced um, a, a customer from a service worker. The service workers are now required to wear masks in places they weren't before. They're now behind plexiglass. They now have you know, more restraints on them. And, and the customer is now more than ever um, sanitized from the service staff. And I think that's a step backward. Um, so hopefully once this is all over, the customer and the service worker can kind of embrace with open arms and see each other as, as more mutual and more on the same um, status. That status struggle, that power dynamic is something that I just really despise. And I think it's damaging for us as human beings. So yeah, in service, I would like to see more of that status and strata of different um, groups of people kind of crumble. Um, yeah, what was the second question? I forgot again. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's all right. If you have a prediction in terms of like what, what we might see more in coffee shops, uh, whether it's, you know, like <laughs> sanitizing stations already there, like is there any... You know, like uh, good old James Hoffman has his yearly prediction. What's your prediction for 2021 in the, in the, in the hospitality industry? I think we're going to see the shared space of where people get their condiments at a coffee bar. You know, like that shared milk jug and the shared sugar stuff. That's all gone. I don't think that cafes are going to have that anymore. I think we're going to see a major resurgence in drive throughs and walk-up windows a lot of cafes are going to, when they open their next location, look for locations with access that also kind of separates the public from the staff. Um, I think we're going to see larger build-outs with less parking as opposed to smaller build-outs with more parking so that more people um, or the people in a space are, are more distant from each other within that space, at least in the, you know, short midterm. Um yeah, and I think the way that things are brought, you know, from a restaurant perspective, I think that um, times that people spend in a restaurant are going to be short, shortened. Instead of them being in that space, you know, in a high-quality restaurant, getting served nine to 12 courses one at a time over three hours, I think that it's going to be five larger courses served over an hour or something like that, where there are less points of contact throughout a person's meal and they're on the road more quickly. And I think prices are gonna go up. I think we're gonna really see restaurants have to increase their pricing even on mundane things like, you know, a burger and fries. I think all of those things are gonna have to change. So, yeah. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll regrab this video in 2021 <laughs> and uh... I would say now, thank you, uh, Joe, for being here. I know you got family and work commitments. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you to be here for a whole hour. And I think it was super special and treat and very insightful and valuable what you said throughout the entire conversation. So, thank you. Um, and yeah, go and check out Joe's podcast. Absolutely. Maybe you can shoot me the link of the Instagram page so I can reshare it. And, uh, yeah, uh, good luck with that, of course. Uh, love to 
can't wait for you to release it. Uh, you know, we got, so got few, we got a few to-do lists out of this. So you got to organize dinner and, and release the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, That's right. thank you so much, brother. Uh, you enjoy your evening, and uh, hopefully we can do this maybe again soon, and maybe we'll do something that different again. Maybe we do a storytelling of coffee farmer friends of yours. That would be wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much for the time and the invitation. And for everybody listening, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you we'll see you soon, hopefully. Yeah, we will in your on your podcast. Can't wait. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Ciao. You bet. Bye. You have it, guys. It's a wrap. Episode 92. Um, very with this podcast, what I love is that they are conversations um, and like any other conversation, even though there's a few questions and a bit a of an interview, but like with every conversation sometimes because it's not staged, you, you, even myself, the host, I'm forced to stop and think and sort of elaborate and digest what uh, Joe in this case has dropped and said. So um, it's really good. Uh, I really have good fun with it. But Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate each and one of you. Thank you again, big, big time to Joe. And uh, we'll see you soon next week with three more episodes. And episode 100 is going to be, yeah, it's going to be revealed soon. But it's around the corner. Anyway, take care. Keep drinking good coffee and look after yourself. Ciao.